Hey everyone, this is John Mauser. I'm a fishing guide and a rod builder on the Crystal Coast of North Carolina. I'm using this podcast to build a relationship with all of you and to tell some stories along the way that will hopefully entertain, educate, and inspire everyone who's listening. This is the True Tales Podcast Show. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, it's been a little while, so I apologize for that. You know how life gets. Um, but I wanted to try to jump on here real quick this morning before my trip and uh, talk to you about a little bit of something that's been on my mind this morning. So I made a mistake last week, something I'd never done before and something I was really ashamed of afterwards. So I barked at one of my clients, and I always pride myself in being one of those guides who um, is pretty pretty laid back and, you know, there to have a good time and, and, and teach them something. And, and, uh, you know, when they make mistakes, just work with them on it and, uh, not be that aggressive guide or that guide who belittles. I don't ever want to be that. I know there are some people that have that reputation and I think that's absolutely ridiculous that you would pay somebody, you know, four or five, six, seven hundred $700 to spend the day on the water with them as they belittle you and, and make you feel bad about your cast or your presentation or missing a shot. Who cares? There's more fish in the sea. Um, but I, I kind of, I, I crossed that, that line the other day and, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into details at all, but, um, I had just been, you know, kind of irritated through the morning with someone that, um, wasn't listening to what I asked them to do when I would tell them to do something, they would do the opposite. And I just kind of backed off and then they called me out on not telling them what to do. And, uh, I just, I barked at them and I instantly had that regret you know, I said, wow, that was a jerk move, John. Um, and so I apologize to the guy right after, but I explained to him, you know, this is, this is why I said that, you know, I shouldn't have done it, but you know, I was kind of, it was, it was kind of building tension because I was asking you to do this and you wouldn't do it. And I would tell you not to do this and you would do it. And, and that was my fault, you know, and that I should have been a better communicator. I should have just sat down and been straightforward with the angler from the get go. So I let that build up and I barked at him and um, lesson learned. I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, that's something that I need to always be aware of. You know, there's, there can, you know, you have a lot of fun on the boat. Um, it can be very exciting, but it can also be very tense and that communication aspect is really important. And I need to make sure that, um, I'm communicating better. So if I feel like my anglers are not listening to me, um, maybe it's, it's actually my fault. Maybe I can improve my communication. So Anyway, I felt terrible about it, but that kind of got me thought, thinking about um, what I want to talk about this morning, and uh, it, it's always in my mind on, on a lot of trips, especially when I have new anglers on the boat, um, and this isn't just a, you know, a guide thing. This is anytime you come in and do something new. I get a lot of people that come down here that are fly anglers of different experience levels and maybe haven't done this type of flats fishing before or sight fishing, uh, or maybe they've done sight fishing. Maybe they've done, you know bonefish or tarpon or something but that's still very different from what we do here in North Carolina for redfish and they get here and they just say wow that was or this is way way more difficult than I ever thought it would be and and in my mind I go well why are you surprised you know and why did you think this was going to be so easy why did you not expect it to be difficult we're coming to uh sightcast to moving predators that also 
Uh, half the time are thinking of themselves as prey as they're trying to escape other things that might eat them. And they're hunting and they're constantly moving and they're disappearing in the mud. and They're going behind oyster bars and coming out between the grass and they sit real still and you pull three feet from them and then they blow out because you didn't see them. And, you know, they you may throw the presentation, you know, present your fly at one angle and they don't want it. And it was, you know, it was off by 15 degrees of the angle it was supposed to cross their face and they say no to it. Or, you know, you think it's the color you're flying, you want to change your fly. And it's really that the fly needed to be within six inches of fish's face and you didn't put it within six feet of them and they're not going to turn and burn to eat something like that, that they can't smell or feel vibrating. You know, they barely see it in the marsh and the mud. And, um, there's a lot. And I, and I just think in my mind, I go, well, why did you think it was going to be easy? I mean, we're, you know, we're playing chess with these fish, not checkers. And I mean, heck, I had a guy, uh, a great angler, uh, text me the other day. He'd gone to Mexico about a week after, uh, he had fished redfish with me. And, you know, everybody thinks about bonefish being difficult because they blend into their surroundings. They're like, you know, they're the same color as the bottom and, and, you know, they're, they're ghosts on the flats. And he texted me one morning when I was heading to a charter and he said, uh, Hey, I've been to Mexico for a couple of days and man, these bonefish are way easier than North Carolina redfish. Um, and, and I think again, you know, leading into it, people, uh, come with this assumption that redfish are just, well, two assumptions. Okay. One that redfish are easy, uh, because, uh, you know, you, you're going to prep for it and you start reading an article and, and it sounds like, oh, you just got to get something from their face and they'll eat, or you watch a YouTube video and it's like five minutes of successful nonstop, uh, catching fish. And they don't realize it was two days of video that went into to that short you know, video that, that they're watching on YouTube of all that success or read an article or a fishing report from a guide who's really trying to drum up the business. And, you know, he's only talking about his good days or they talk to a buddy who went to Louisiana and Louisiana can be epic. It can be it's the best red fishing in the world, but it can also be shut down some days and it's unfishable, you know, so it just, it just depends on the day. And maybe they talked to their buddy who had a fantastic day in Louisiana and he's like, oh man, we, you know, we caught 30 fish and I never fly fished before. It can happen, but a lot of days it doesn't. So I think, again, you know, we've talked about expectations a lot. I will beat expectations to death over the years talking to y'all. You know, they come expecting that and then they're just completely humbled when these fish outwit them. And and we talked about why it's hard. I mean, literally, it's you are pulling around or trolling motoring or staked out or whatever in the marsh and the water. OK, maybe sometimes the water is crystal clear in the wintertime. But if it's crystal clear, those fish will see you half the time, 90% of the time before you see them. It's crystal clear to them, too. They're very aware. Uh, They've probably been pressured a lot. Um, But, you know, then you come in the summertime and the water's tea colored or it's, you know, root beer colored or maybe it's muddy like chocolate milk. And sometimes, you know, you may be in a foot of water and those fish have a couple inches of water over their back and they blend in and you're just looking for parts of fish, you know. The, the angler thinks, oh, I'm looking for a redfish. And maybe all you're looking for is a blue flash from a tail or a gold flash as they turn and scratch themselves on an oyster and the sun reflects off of them or a slight wake. And, you know, we're looking for wakes and the wakes are only a quarter inch tall. And somebody who's not used to looking for something like that completely scan over. I mean, there's so many times I point at wakes and go, look, at there's 20, 20 or 30 redfish pushing right there. Look at those wakes. And they can't see them because they think the wakes are going to be three or four inches tall and the wakes are 
less than a half inch tall. And there's already a breeze blowing across the surface. And the only difference is the direction the redfish wakes are going is a slightly different direction than the, than the, than the wind blown uh, waves in that marsh. So, you know, and then when they do see that fish, it's really literally a seconds that you have to cast those fish. Okay. Sometimes we can sit off a, a point and, and we can like in the wintertime, we can watch a school of fish and we may have, you know, 20, 30 minutes, sometimes an hour where we can hit those fish when they come within range and then we stay hidden from them. Uh, and sometimes maybe tailing fish in the summertime, we may see a fish from a hundred yards away and they've got five minutes of us pulling across the grass, trying to get to that tailing fish uh, for them to kind of anticipate what they're going to do. Um, usually that's not good for you either because then you work yourself up so much uh, that anxiety as you're, uh, as you're you know, approaching that fish and, and, and worrying about it and you end up blowing the shot anyway. But uh, realistically, most of our redfish only give you a few seconds. The good thing is most of them when that water is uh, dirty in the summertime, you know, they pop up close to the boat. So it's not a distance thing. You literally may see them 10, 15, 20 feet away at the first time you see them. Sometimes they show up three, four feet off the bow of the boat. And it's like, what the heck do you do then? How do you get that fly down on those fish uh, before they spook? Because that fish is literally half a second from looking up and going, oh my gosh, there's a UFO floating above me. Like I got to get out of here and they burn out. Or they're, they're like a rabbit in the grass and they just sit there and hold tight. And you're like, oh, that fish doesn't even see us. He, he saw you five seconds ago. He's just holding still waiting for you to get far enough past him before he blasts out because he thinks you're going to grab him like a predator. To be a successful angler, you have to get to the point where you don't even uh, think about the logistics of your cast before you start. You see a fish or a sign of a fish, you're already, your fly's already out of your hand, your fly's already in the air, and you're already casting in these fish. And on your back cast, you're going, okay, which side is his head on? And then on your first false cast forward, you're going, okay, he's moving this speed. This is where I need to lead him. Your next back cast, you've already decided where your fly needs to be to intercept them by the time you get everything worked out and you're stripping the fly and everything. And then your second false cast, you're already shooting on that fish. You know, it's, it's literally two seconds just and, and you're in front of that fish. Um, and that's something that it's hard for a lot of anglers who don't do that type of fishing to grasp. I mean, gosh, you go fishing in a trout stream and you know, you're drifting a fly. So you, you may know, hey, there's trout in this pool or this riffle or whatever, but you're able to you know, you're casting 10, 20 feet up ahead of them and you're just mending your line and letting it drift through there. Or you're, you know, you're a warm water, freshwater fisherman. You're fishing just blind casting cypress knees or lily pads or, you know, points off a lake or something with a popper. And, and you're just blind casting where those fish should be. Or maybe you are a flats angler and you go somewhere down like Florida or you go to the Bahamas or somewhere where you can see those fish 50 feet away. 100 feet away, 150 feet away, and you can anticipate them. They don't shock you. So, you know, when they get in your casting range, you only got a second or two to make it happen. But you, you, you saw those fish coming like it, when with redfish in North Carolina, when you see them 90% of the time, when you see them, they're already within your casting range, um, except for a few exceptions. So it, it makes it tough and it, it's hard for people to um, it's hard for people to get to get mentally prepared for that, that they just have to be on their toes the entire time that they're on the trip. Cause as soon as they let their guard down, one's going to blow out 10 feet in front of the boat. I mean, I could go on forever about um, all the reasons that, that anglers struggle with this, but um, I think the, 
big thing with this is that, you know, first off, it's okay to struggle. Like if you come down here for the purpose or the mindset of, um, I just want, you know, I don't want to put in the work. I don't want to practice my casts. I don't want to be good at casting in the wind. I don't want to be good at switching direction quick. I don't want to be good at um, just starting a cast without knowing where it's going to land first and then working into all those decision-making processes and two quick false casts and having your fly in front of a fish real quick. Um, if you don't want to do that work and actually have to feed that fish, um, then come down, but we'll throw a spinning rod and we'll throw a big topwater plug and we'll chug, chug, chug it along and we'll get one exploding and, and you can get that hero shot, you know, or we'll, you know, we won't soak bait, but you know, we'll, we'll throw some scented plastics or a gold spoon or something and we'll catch a handful of redfish on most days. But if you really want that pride in going, Hey, I, Hey, I saw these fish and, uh, saw them coming and made that quick decision. And I threw that fly in front of them and I let it drop right in front of their face. And I adjusted my little strips and I cat and mouse that fish and watched him turn and come after it. And and just kept playing with him and, and, and tick, 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 and watched him. And then he just finally just lunged forward and opened his mouth. And I saw his gills flare and watched him eat 20 feet in front of the boat. And I strip striked him. I kept my rod tip down. And I felt the force of that fish in my left hand as I came tight to him. And I brought that rod tip up and he burned off to the left. And I pulled the rod to the right. If you want that pride in that, then you just have to come knowing that it is a learning process. And I get anglers all the time who come down here and, uh, and they want to do that. They, they want a learning process. They, they know that, hey, I'm, if you put me in front of fish and let me make mistakes, I'm going to learn from those mistakes. And every single fish is going to teach me something. And every single fish is going to make me better. And maybe I'll catch one my first trip. Maybe I'll catch 10 my first trip. I've had anglers who had never saltwater fly fish before and caught 10 their first trip. And I've also had anglers who were really good saltwater anglers and did three trips before they came, you know, Put a, put a redfish in their hand, sight cast it on fly. So you just kind of have to have those realistic expectations that um, it's tough, but if you want to became, become a good angler, if you want to become good at that game, you want to uh, be able to cast in the wind, you want to be able to make decisions quickly, you want to be able to watch fish and analyze the way they're moving and then throw a fly in front of them and, and read the way that they uh, react to that fly and figure out exactly how I need to adjust it and, and trick that fish or Hey, if he turned off, maybe, you know, we need to try this method or this presentation or this fly next time and, and, and really become, you know, really good at the game. Um, this is a great place to do it because if you can catch a redfish on fly in North Carolina, uh, you can catch one anywhere in the United States. As far as I'm concerned, um, that's probably not the best advertisement for getting you to come fish with me. Uh, cause, cause I'm making them sound really hard, but, uh, you know, they're, they're smart. Uh, they went to college and these redfish got their education at, you know, screw you university some days. And it doesn't matter what you do. Like it's, you can't find that key to unlock them. And then the next day they just eat like crazy. Or you have one school that just teaches you a lot and humbles you. And then you go to another Creek or a Bay and you find fish in there that just want to chew and chew and chew or the same fish. Two hours later, the tide changes and all of a sudden they're much more user friendly. So not putting our fishery down at all. I love our fishery. Um, it has made me a better guide and a better angler. Um, and I think it would do the same for anybody that came down here. So on the business side of things, I have this mentor that, um, you know, talking about building businesses and, and this thing he said, I think relates to 
fly fishing and just a lot of stuff in life. He said, you know, choose your hard or choose your struggle. Like you can struggle uh, to become a really good, competent fly angler, one that can make decisions, uh, one that can be successful uh, catching really difficult fish and, and, and gaining that pride in doing that. You know, it's, it's hard. You know, you can, you can go that way as far as being hard on going, Hey, this is, I'm going to do something real tough. I'm not going to just fish for bluegill or stalker trout. I'm going to try to out with these redfish that, um, see me before I see them. And they're sitting in six inches of water and the water's dirty and I'm trying to find them. And so, so you can have that struggle and get good that way. Or you can have these struggle on the other side of not preparing for stuff like this and not putting in the time and the effort and the practice. And, um, and then it, it's a struggle of just disappointment, you know, feeling like you've never are getting to that point where you can really consider yourself uh, like a, a top tier advanced angler. Um, and so you either got to struggle to get to the top or you just got to struggle sitting at the bottom, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. And I highly advise if you guys really love fishing I, and, and growth and getting better at things, I highly advise you choose the struggle of getting better uh, and putting in the time and having the good attitude and, and uh, wanting to really become good at something. So to finish this back up, because we need to, uh, I need to get out on the water, uh, but I want to tie it back in to what we started with and, uh, and tell you what I want to struggle to get better at. I want to struggle to get better at communicating with my anglers in, in a certain way, because I, um, I'm always working on communicating with them and, and trying to see, you know, if I got a fish over here at nine o'clock, 20 feet, how quick can I get them to know there's a fish at nine o'clock at 20 feet, not just know, but to actually lay eyes on it because I, I don't want them, you know, I don't want them, uh, just casting to nine o'clock, 20 feet. I want them to look over there and see the fish. And then they have their eyes on the fish. And as that fish moves, then they know where their cast placement needs to be compared to where that fish is. And then they can make those adjustments on the fly. Ha ha, get it uh, as needed. And, uh, and then they can actually watch that fish and feed it because blind casting, there's no need to blind cast. If, if we're sight casting, you know, I want you guys to see that fish and, and get the fly to him and watch how he reacts to it. But what I want to communicate better is being able to express urgency without stressing my anglers out, without getting them too excited. And uh, my friend Judd Brock actually brought this up the other day, and I thought it was really smart. It's like, you know, I generally speak with more urgency, the more urgent the shot is. Um, Because I'm trying to communicate with that angler, like if I'm speaking a little faster or a little louder, um, you know, that means that fish is closer and our time is uh, shorter that we have to present that. But at the same time, like what I never really thought about was that and that's probably also, you know, I've got a guy on the front of the boat who's um, already stressed out and already worried about blowing the shot in front of the guide and screwing it up. Um, so I'm probably not helping his anxiety or his stress level by going nine o'clock, 20 feet, 20 feet, 20 feet, nine o'clock, turn around, look left, your other left, your other left. That's not helping. You know, I'm trying to get the information out to them as quick as possible but it's probably just taking their blood pressure and putting it through the roof. So that's my thing that I want to work on better as a guide is being able to communicate those very quick, immediate, urgent shots in a very calm manner. And that means that I also have to be on top of my toes. I have to be able to 
read that fish because you know my nine o'clock and the angler's nine o'clock are different believe it or not because if a fish is 10 feet off my nine o'clock or you move 18 foot forward on the boat and 10 o'clock off or nine o'clock off a uh, that angler you know 10 20 feet out it's a completely different location if you think about it so um, I have to be able to very quickly analyze where that fish is for that angler and knowing we only have a few seconds and I have to be able to communicate that clearly and calmly, but in a way also to express the urgency that we need to find this fish really quick, get our eyes on it and get a cast out to it. Because I also don't want them to miss the shot because I took too long being too calm and soft-spoken about a fish that's getting ready to bump into the boat um, that we might be able to still catch if we're quick enough with it. So that's what I'm going to work on as a guide. Um, and uh, and so hopefully that'll work out and help my clients out a little bit better because that is my whole goal um, is to show people a good time and make them a better angler. Um, so hopefully that will help out a little bit. Okie doke. I got to get out of here and go meet my angler. And uh, we're going to go fishing some wind today and see if we can um, make it happen. We're going to try. All right. Hope you all have a great one. And hopefully it won't be so long until the next one. And I really appreciate y'all so much. Oh, and one last thing I almost forgot because it's been a while. I would like to ask you guys to uh, just trade value with me on this podcast, meaning that if um, this was valuable to you, today's show, I would ask that then maybe you would consider doing something that would be valuable to me. So if you really enjoyed today's show or found it useful, there's a couple things that I would really value from you. That would be one, you could tell a friend about it and get them to, to give it a listen. You could post it on social media and say, hey, give this a listen. You could go on um, iTunes or any of the other podcast players and you could give a five-star rating or a review. That really helps us bump it up so that more people who go searching for podcasts like this um, on their podcast player can find us. Um, so yeah, if you found value in it, um, I would appreciate if you do something to help share it and or review it and help grow it. Um, if you did not find value in it, um, that's okay too. Just don't go on there and say, John does a terrible time and he's a horrible podcaster. So anyway, appreciate y'all. Look forward to doing another one. Um, this was fun and y'all have a great week. Take care. Bye.